Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock episode number 39 for season 2, episode 13 of Star Trek Discovery, Such Sweet Sorrow, part 1 of 2, because I'm your chief engineer, Ken Gagney. And I'm Captain Sabriel Mastin. For only another week until the end of season 2 of Discovery. Oh my gosh, so much to do in such a short amount of time. I know, I don't know how things are going to wrap up. We were just talking before the show, I was like, I thought there were two more episodes left. (laughs) No, this is Such Sweet Sorrow Part 1, and I believe next week is Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2. Although, as I mentioned to our guest last week, Jessica, hasn't the entire season sort of been a 14-part finale? Yeah, it's, I, I don't think of these as parts, and I don't even think they had a Part 1 in here, so I'm thinking next week will be a new title. It's possible. Memory Alpha currently calls it Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2, so we'll see. But I agree that... It is a very serial season. It's been a very serial show since its debut, but I, it rarely ends on that much of a cliffhanger where the next episode picks up right where the last one left off. Yeah, yeah, not, not in, in this way anyway. I think they just did it like an episode or two ago, but not like to this matter. Yeah, the Red Angel and Perpetual Infinity were definitely continuous. Michael Burnham's mom shows up and the very next episode, Michael wakes up in sick band is like, where's my mom? So that was very continuous, but yeah, th- this is definitely even more of a two-parter. So in this episode, that is before the finale, what happened? So the TLDR for this week is that they try to destroy the Discovery because it has the sphere data that they can't delete, and the sphere data prevents the Discovery from being destroyed. So they realize that they need to use the time crystal to push Discovery into the future and away from Control's grasp. A red pulse shows up over the planet Zahia, where Tilly knows the serene highness queen poe and so they go there and recruit her to create a way to power the time crystal without a supernova with michael burnham piloting the red angel suit she will open a wormhole bring discovery into the future the crystal will burn out she and discovery will be stuck in the future and enterprise and discovery have to fight off control's fleet while this is all happening and the rest of the discovery crew the main characters that we all know from the bridge say to michael we're going with you into the future And so as they're preparing for this temporal journey, the control fleet shows up and Discovery and Enterprise prepare for battle. End scene. Oh my God. I was just typing it so I don't want to forget. Because like how cool it was for you just to be able to say, Enterprise in Discovery, we're doing a thing. (laughs) And Enterprise is not the focus, which is weird in a Star Trek show. I know. And that's actually... Well, first of all, I do want to talk a lot about Discovery, but... I want to know, in general, without specific moments or scenes or speeches, what was your impression of this episode, Captain? I thought there were a lot of great parts, but it kind of left me just whelmed overall. It left you what? Whelmed. Not underwhelmed, not (laughs) overwhelmed, just whelmed. (laughs) But I thought there were lots of great individual moments. But the overall arc didn't move you? Uh, This episode, anyway, didn't. Hmm. It didn't move me. It just... Okay, cool. I'm ready for the next one. Yeah, there were a lot of things about this episode that on an intellectual level, I feel like this shouldn't work. They shouldn't have done this. This doesn't make sense. And yet, this episode of Discovery made me do something that I have not done all season, which was watch the episode again. It really grabbed me. I was really moved by it. And there were some things that I just absolutely love. This may be one of my favorite episodes of the season. Oh, cool. Well, good. I'm glad you had that experience. Yeah. And I'm also a little perplexed, flustered, and perhaps even frustrated that it is one of my favorite episodes because, like I said, there are things that I shouldn't like about it. And yet, (laughs) somehow, they made it work. Uh, I'm going to ask you what you didn't like about it in a second here. But maybe my feeling is because it's supposed to be spread over two episodes. Because it's not like I didn't like it. I was just like, all right, I wish I had more. Like, I feel like the next one will resolve everything about the first one that was left me just feeling, okay, cool, all right. Well, kind of like the Vulcan Hello and the Battle of the Binary Stars, you really can't appreciate one without the other. Yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking that might be it for me here. What didn't you like about this episode before we gush about all the stuff we did like? <laughs> for those who feel that Discovery isn't Star Trek enough because it's too dark or too action-oriented, like the 2009 J.J. Abrams reboot, 
I think they'll love this episode because it was nothing but ponderous speeches. There was lots of that. (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot of dialogue in this episode. And a lot of it seemed redundant after just three weeks ago when we saw Michael Burnham prepare to strap herself into a chair and die to entrap the Red Angel. She said goodbye to everybody back then, and here she is doing it again. And so that just felt like we just saw this. Why are you going through this again? Michael, we know how selfless you you are. We know you're a martyr. You just proved it less than a quarter of a season ago. Why do you have to give us so much airtime to do it again? Yeah, we, we got to see a bunch more people saying goodbye. A bunch of the secondary characters that aren't, uh, well, we assume aren't going to die if they're going to be a season three. But um, unlike um, Arium, who like we got her good big goodbye in one episode here, at least we're getting some character development is what I'm getting to. But unfortunately, they're leading up to, oh, but the character is going to die. It's like, again, <laughs> they're doing the same thing they did with Arium. This time, I don't think it's going to be actual dead dead for most of the characters anyway. Yeah, I think the character development is more meaningful here because I don't think these characters are going to die either. Developing a character immediately before they die is meaningful unless that's the only time they've developed the characters. And so I like that we're seeing these characters like Detmer over two seasons. We're getting a little bit more inside glimpses into who they are and who's important to them. And I think we're going to continue seeing that in season three. I sure hope so. Yeah. And I do want to speak specifically about those scenes, but did we talk about what you didn't like about this episode? Uh, no, there's something I really didn't like. Like, there was things I thought were weird. But the most weird thing to me was how Spock and Michael's parents, how Sarek and Amanda were able to get to Discovery. It felt so weird to me. There was a scene where they wanted to say, to say their goodbye to Michael. And like, how did they get to Discovery when Discovery is like on the run from Section 31? Or from Control? It felt so weird. They knew there was things going on, but how'd they get there? Like, we have no idea like where they re- where they are relative to Vulcan, I guess. But it just felt odd. I thought they were like at first. I thought they were projecting themselves somehow through some Vulcan wizardry, but then it turns out no, they're physically there. I was okay with them knowing where they were. I am less okay with them having the means to get there in time. That's what I mean. But what I'm really not okay with is the fact that. Discovery let them on board. Discovery should be quarantined because they don't know who Control has infiltrated. Oh, see, I, I didn't even go that far. I'm just like, okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're in the middle of a potential war. They're waiting for the enemy to arrive on their doorstep. And here comes this little ship saying, no, 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 you can trust us. We're Vulcans. Let us on board. I would be like, no, back away right now or we will fire. Uh, that's also possible. We just didn't, they didn't deem it reasonable to show how they took care and the that it wasn't them. I mean, there's, there was lots of footage that we didn't see them flying there either. I mean, it's just, I'm happy they were there. I'm happy they got this really heartfelt moment, which I thought was wonderful. I just thought it was weird to me that they were actually there. And also weird that they gave their son the shaft. Didn't say a single word to Spock that we saw. No, uh, Sarek actually said right there, he's like, I, he's um, respecting Spock's wishes to not... To keep his distance. Yeah. Plus... At that time, Spock didn't say he was going with. Yeah, but still, this is going to be a battle regardless, and not everybody's going to come home alive. You would think that at least Amanda would want to say goodbye to her son. We don't know that they didn't either off camera. So we start off by actually mentioning the Enterprise and how cool it was to see them, and that's probably one of the things we loved about this show. Shall we start at the top and talk about how cool it was when they left the Discovery and went aboard the NCC-1701? I was swimming so hard when I saw the bridge of the Enterprise. It looks so good. Yeah, it's a perfect melding of how we remember it and how it would be if it was designed today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just loved it. And I I loved um, Pike walking onto the ship after evacuating Discovery. He's like, yeah, I'm home and seeing things. And even having undertones of the TOS theme song playing in the background. Yes. Oh, man, the, the, the set design was so cool. And, like, they put so much work into the Enterprise that they have to use this for a spinoff. And it was so respectful of the original, such as how the turbo lifts work, which we saw again in Trials and Tribulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I just love all those details. It was so cool. And we got to see number one more, which I just love her so much. Yeah, number one said, welcome home, Captain. She didn't, again, say a word to Spock, who has been gone longer than Pike has. You would think that everybody would be overjoyed to see their chief science officer return. I mean, you're worth a Vulcan, or when you don't want to <laughs> respect his emotional 
state. I don't know. And you also want to walk across the evacuation tubes that, was, that they extended? That was weird. <laughs> That's something we've never <laughs> seen or heard of before in Trek. And I was like, what, are, what in the world are they doing? I, when she, when Detmer was park, or like maneuvering Discovery, I was like, okay, well, you're not near enough to the airlock. What are you doing? What are you doing? And then all of a sudden these come out. <laughs> I mean, I knew they were doing some sort of docking maneuver where they were trying to align their axes, but I didn't know what the goal was because, again, we've never seen that before. And how tenuous must that connection be? They would have to be perfectly still for that sort of a physical connection to remain reliable. Yeah, there might be some give. We've never seen it before. There was somebody on the bridge named Ammon, who we've never seen before. I checked Memory Alpha, and she is new. But apparently, I didn't notice this in this episode, but there was also Yeoman Colt, who we previously saw in The Cage, and she was on this episode of Discovery as well. Oh, that character. Okay. I do know that character, because I just watched this, The Cage, or at least the beginning of it a few weeks ago. I didn't catch that it was her, though. Yeah, the Telosians described her as having youth, strength, and unusually strong female drives. I didn't catch where she was in Discovery, though. Um, that would have been on the bridge. He had mentioned the names of a few people. I don't remember what was when he first walked there or during another scene, but I remember, I remember that now. So when they tried to destroy the discovery and they failed, what was your first thought about what was happening? I thought it was plausible. They were going to destroy discovery to, and then we can just use like the discovery. Like they can just, I guess they don't have any more of the ships of the line though. We only know that they have two of those ships. I guess I was thinking at the time I was thinking, okay, that was going to build a new or potentially build a new one. But when it didn't blow up, I was like, okay, that also makes total sense. Did you have any theories for why it wasn't blowing up? Oh, I figured it right away. It was the sphere data protecting itself immediately. Oh, then you're, you're quicker than me. Cause I thought it was control. Gotcha. I thought control had taken over discovery. And I thought that when they fired the photon torpedo a moment before it struck the discovery, I expected to see the ship warp away right out of the uh, line of fire. <laughs> and here, Michael was like, we should have seen this coming. And I was like, I should have seen this coming. <laughs> <laughs> but it totally would have been within... I mean, also, I've been watching a lot of the TV show Leverage lately, where they get the bad guys to do what the good guys actually want by tricking them. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see Control maneuver the crew of Discovery into abandoning the ship so that it could have it. That okay. totally seemed like something that it would do. I could see that. But the fact that it was the sphere data instead implies that it's far more integrated into the systems than we previously realized. Uh, they alluded to it before, but I don't think they've given us much reason to think about it, period. It had just kind of mentioned it once and like, okay, that's it. Because it hasn't affected anything else. So as viewers, we were just weren't primed to think that way. Right. But it is, in fact, with able to control like command systems and override executive orders, it is entrenched in all aspects of Discovery's operations. And it's possible that it was doing that while they were evacuating, too, I suppose, and they just didn't know it. Still, though, it doesn't mean that Discovery is invincible or undestroyable. I mean, yes, they can't self-destruct it. They can't hit it with photon torpedoes. But in a battle scenario with thirty-one Section 31 ships attacking it, I can imagine that it can still be destroyed. Now, I know that's not Section 31's goal. I'm just saying that given enough firepower, Discovery could still be destroyed. And I felt like the crew of the Discovery gave up too quickly. Hypothesis there is that if they would have kept doing it, Discovery would have started defending itself. And then like, well, you're not getting anywhere then. Which it should. But I, I'm imagining a scenario that eventually the defenses are overwhelmed because given enough firepower, those shields would come down. Yeah. And heck, it might have just, it might have just spore driven its, or used the spore drive somehow itself to get away from there. That's true. We don't know where it might have gone. It was in this scene that we also saw Burnham have that vision of the future, a very violent one. Dang, yeah, we see um, a torpedo like, launch or shove itself right into Enterprise and not blow up. Yeah, we, it, we saw that twice, that specific aspect of the future. And I'm wondering how that's going to play a role next week. But I was more distraught to see everybody we know shot and killed. Yeah. Oh my God. Leland in his vision, Leland comes onto discovery bridge and just shoots everyone like instantly. Like he was shoots short Georgeau in the head with the phaser. Like something I don't think we've ever seen in Star Trek before. Yeah. And also our navigators who rarely are in the line of fire. I mean, seeing Detmer killed and also seeing her fellow navigator, a just slump over the console with her dead eyes and slide down to the ground. That Wow. This is a very dark moment in Discovery. Yeah, it was brutal. It was brutal. <laughs> uh, and then, and then, like, Control 
Leyland picks up Michael by her chin. Yeah, he is very glad to put her down. This mm-hmm. may be a machine, but it is taking savage pleasure in destroying his nemesis. So, oofta. <laughs> Fortunately, Burnham, for some reason, sees this future and hopefully is able to put us on the path to stop it. She comes up with the idea to move Discovery into the future. And they have a little confab in one of the conference rooms about how to power the crystal, where Georgiou has a wonderful idea. I love that scene so much. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about it. Well, they're like, well, we need to use basically the power from a supernova to power this thing. And she's like, well, then no problem. Find a star, fire an antimatter torpedo into its core. (laughs) And so he's like, we'd be responsible for the death of any lives within 12 light years. And she says, yep. <laughs> she's like, what? I thought there were no bad ideas. And everyone's like, that's a bad idea. <laughs> that was a lie. That's a bad one. <laughs> it was fascinating that she was proposing doing exactly what Soren did in Star Trek Generations. Pretty much, yeah. And I wasn't sure that everybody wouldn't go along with it because if the alternative is the extinction of all life, then 12 light years seems a small price to pay. Plus, just trying to find all that. Like, yeah. I mean, it did say finding a red matter. Giant or red giant would be easy enough, but one that supernova, yeah. So I guess they could have done it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was fantastic. Uh, and then just at that moment, just like Georgiou predicts, they need another signal, so it shows up. This now makes five, and it's becoming pretty clear that each one is giving them something that they need. Like they show up on the planet where Poe is queen, so they need Poe to power the crystal. The one over Boreth, they got the crystal. The one over the Kelpian homeward, they evolved Saru. The one over the Hiawatha, they got Jet, who we see playing a vital role in this episode. We still don't know why the pulse over New Eden was important. No, other than other than it being a plot point in the future, we don't know what it has to do with the present. I thought that scene was neat in the ready room because this showed that Spock had changed his mind about the importance of the signal and that they had... Here he's like, they do seem to have some kind of intelligence between behind, uh, in, not necessarily in concept, but in uh, what it's doing. Like something is intelligent. In, intention. With, yeah. And, he said there was intention to the design. Yeah. yeah. Like that was, that's a change in how he was feeling earlier in the season. And also Burnham. I mean, she was the one who just previously said, I'm going to ignore the red signal and go after the Section 31 ship. It's pointless to speculate as to the cause of these pulses, she said. So yeah, so then we... Uh, I was like, yeah, that was such a cool. I saw Tilly getting so excited to see Poe. I love her title too, the Serene Highness. That's an amazing title. It does make me wonder, and this is something we discussed when we saw the short trek, is when that short trek took place. Because we had deduced previously that from Tilly's rank, it occurred after she was promoted from cadet to ensign at the end of season one. The end of season one flowed directly into the beginning of season two. There hasn't been a lot of discontinuity between then and now. So I'm wondering how long ago she met Poe. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting fact. I don't know. And the only time I can think of is after Tyler got stabbed by Leland, and I asked you how come he was so well the next week, and you point out that, oh, they said that happened several weeks later. That's the only significant gap in time that I have observed in this season. So that means that they would have met Poe just recently. Heck, even in that timeline even today's episode stamets mentioned that he um gave up on a position on vulcan months ago when the beginning oh, of the season true. that was supposed to be happening then so it has been months since things things got started that's true okay so i guess that means that there's more that we haven't seen than i realized people have noticed online that the star dates not that i ever pay attention to those because they're just gibberish for the most part but a lot of star dates have been going out of order but i think that happened last season too where they will go up in number, down in number, up in number. Yeah, this week it was like 1016.3 or something. And that doesn't sound like a star date that we would recognize. I, I know the original series had some wonky, because it was just made up stuff. They had no real system. And even, in the, even in the TNG era, like the star date system has some like, vague resemblance to what's going on in the, in the universe. But for the most part, it's just gibberish to sound futury, spacey. I can certainly forgive TOS for making it up as they go because they had no precedence, no lore to be beholden to, no continuity. You would think that Discovery would try a little bit harder. Yeah, I suppose they're playing homage to the original. <laughs> or, <laughs> or you know, I mean, obviously it's made up for fun stuff, but there might be some kind of time constant with it that 
is just misunderstood by us. Or maybe we're watching the episodes out of order. It could be that. Maybe their experience. <laughs> it's been a hypothesis. Maybe there's some kind of hint that the time keeps going weird and wonky. Hmm. But that seems to be a very deep cut that I don't think they would actually pull. Yeah, that seems like a devious trap that fans would not appreciate. Yeah. So did you like seeing Poe again? I love Poe so much. I love when she comes on there. She's like Pike's all trying to get off formal. And she just yells, Tilly! And they go and hug. I love Poe and Jet's interactions. They're really cute. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. I like you. I like you too. And then Georgiou, oh, good. We're all friends now. <laughs> I love uh, Poe's being like, I don't, or what was it? Something like, Georgiou made some snarky comment. And then Poe was like, uh, since I am on a very important planet <laughs> in uh, basically the ga- I'm on the most important planet in the galaxy right now, I made a law where I don't have to put up with Snark. <laughs> she just shoves her the bowl of ice cream that she has. There were a couple of great scenes where Georgiou was put in her place. She is usually the one with the upper hand, the one who is more devious and uncaring than anybody else in the room. And Poe is just like, nope, doesn't phase me. Get out of my way. Yeah. And you know something similar happened later where Georgiou was stripping down Burnham, saying, "You, I know what a selfless martyr you are, flinging yourself into the future like a galactic rubber band, and I'm not the only one who's going to take advantage of that. And Burnham's just like, hey, you know what? If we all survive, then you can talk to me about my gaping character flaws. Until then, see ya. Yeah. And Georgiou is just left there speechless, and we rarely see Mira Georgiou act like that. No, uh, she she has been used to being Empress and, and just having upper hand. I, I freaking love it. I, just, I love Georgiou. But I'm also happy to see people put her in her place and have her go like, what, what, what? <laughs> yeah, and, and going a little out of order, as long as we're talking about Georgiou, at the, near the end of the episode, she beams Tyler and Pike back to the Enterprise. And just before they disappear, she reveals, by the way, I'm Terran from your Mirror Universe. Why would she say that? She is just trying to mess with people. She loves to mess with folks. And to me, it just felt like she's just trying to mess with Pike even more. And um, and she has a smile on her face, and he and then he replies with a mirror universe wink. <laughs> yeah, he said what mirror universe, and I really believed him when he said that because there's no reason he should know it. But that wink, I was like, oh, oh, how does he know? What is it? How long has he known? That blew my mind. I went back and I replayed that scene like a half a dozen times. <laughs> uh, to me, as me, maybe I mean, didn't um, beginning of the season, didn't he? No. Okay. Okay. Remember, beginning of the season, there was some kind of thing of like they met for the first time on the show, but I can't remember if they might have had a past or not. Like some kind of. Yeah, Pike said something like how you used to drink us all under the table, and I was wondering if that was a false memory that he was using to test her. Something like that, and also, at some point during this show, Michael, uh, he knew Michael was hiding some things and something about Giorgio, and he's like what's going on she's like i'll tell you when it matters kind of thing and uh so it's very possible that off screen uh she mentioned something to him too you even if burnham didn't fill him in i can imagine that he could have deduced especially after george implied that they should blow up a star that he figured out on his own that this is not the george he knew yeah but he- that doesn't necessarily equate to knowing the existence of a mirror universe it's also possible that this is privileged information only made available to very high-ranking Starfleet captains. What I also found interesting was we were previously wondering why Georgiou would refer to the universe that's not hers as the Prime Universe. And this week, she didn't say she was from the Mirror Universe. She said she was from your Mirror Universe. So I like that. That makes sense. Yeah. Later on in this episode, because um, they, they got um, Poe on board and they helped figure out how they got to power the time suit. Uh, and all that jazz and they needed a time crystal but they need to use a spore drive to just shove a bunch of power through it and um they're like hey it's not going as fast as we can for the plot and so she's like okay i'm just gonna sit here and do the thing take off the casing that we need to do so it gets all the power it needs for the plot and then she starts seeing the vision in this moment i was like i was like no i must protect jet don't you dare make it so she can't return in the future but also (laughs) um she was seeing the same vision that michael saw or at least the beginning of it and uh or like the battle part and to me that was kind of saying like so far nothing they're doing is changed the timeline yet because she's basically for consistency to the viewer saying like things are going as they were seen before yeah that occurred to me as well i don't know 
at what point they are able to deviate from that future. I also don't know, if Burnham was on the bridge of the Discovery when Leland boarded it, shouldn't she have been off piloting the red suit somewhere? Yeah, it's possible that this happens before she can get to the suit. Like Maybe they weren't able to hold off Section 31 as long as they had hoped, uh, or control. I keep equating them, but they're more or less are the same thing at this point. So it's possible, that, well, you know, like Jet didn't see that future, but maybe it's because it's not she's not on the bridge. But uh, it's also possible they've changed that much, but the battle still goes on. I mean, there's still a bunch of time is wibbly wobbly. And so we don't know exactly what, but for the most part, at least the battle seems to go exactly as Michael saw earlier, but maybe not the outcome. Yeah. It's showing Michael and Jet the exact same future, which is weird. I would think it would be a little bit more personal. And again, I can't help but wonder what that unexploded torpedo has to do with anything and why it didn't explode. Someone mentioned that Section 5, or excuse me, Deck 5, has like sick bay and also has Kirk's quarters, Captain's quarters. Novice, it's not Kirk here, but maybe that's where Captain's quarters are. So maybe it has something to do with one of those two locations. As for why they targeted that section or no, for no, why no, it didn't explode? No, no, targeted, but that's where it landed. And maybe that's for a plot reason next week. They'll be like... Oh, this is where this is where uh, Culber is at, and he needs to get out of there before it blows up. I don't know. Great, we're gonna get to see him die again. <laughs> or maybe, like in Star Trek Beyond, somebody will climb into the torpedo like Scotty did and escape that way. Or like in Deep Space Nine, or they can deactivate the quantum torpedo that uh, is launched into the Defiant. Or like in Star Trek Into Darkness, where it actually contains all of Kanunian Singh's colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> There are so many things that could be in a torpedo. <laughs> <laughs> Except explosives, apparently. Oh, 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 I just thought of something. When they were leaving, Pike and Tyler, Tyler said, I need to leave before everything starts. And we don't know what that meant. We don't know where he was going. We didn't see him on the Enterprise after he beamed out. So he, where, where has he gone? What is he doing? He said something about someone has to make sure Section 31 is... Something's, uh, or make sure nothing like control happens to Section 31 again. Right. That's why he's not going into the future. Uh, yeah. And that's why he's not going to be in the battle either. So he's basically like, this place that I've devoted my life to for two whole months, I love it so much. I have no really good other plot point other than this. I need something. <laughs> I can't make it so they'll let me die before the season's over. Otherwise, I'll have no show to return to. But we still don't know what he was referring to about to Pike. Has he boarded Leland's ship? Is he actually somewhere on Discovery? Is he in the torpedo? Oh, he said he's going to leave the battle. So he can't be here when the battle begins. It's all we know. Okay, so that's okay. The other day, like now it doesn't make sense to me. But the other day I hypothesized like, he's going to get the Klingons in this somehow. But no, I don't think that's it. Yeah, I don't think he is escaping just so that he can live and make sure control doesn't happen again. I think he's leaving to do something that has to do with this battle. It might be that too, but he did specifically say he wants to make sure. So maybe it's both. I think making sure control doesn't happen again is a long-term goal. I think saying that he has something to do that requires he leave is a short-term goal. And I, we don't know that that's true, but that's what I'm thinking. So during this battle, we also get the heartfelt goodbyes. Yeah, and there were a lot of them. Which Did anyone in particular stand out to you? No, I mean, we got to see more people. We kind of mentioned this before. We got to see a bunch more like people saying goodbyes. Like Tilly says goodbye to her mother, and she's like, I'm proud of me, even if you might not be. You see, Paul seems to have a brother because that he's writing to. You know, I assumed it was a brother too, but after a rewatching, he doesn't mention a pronoun, and it could have been a sister. Uh, it, it, uh, it felt like brother, and I can't remember what triggered that for me, but it's possible. Maybe I missed that. Um, but he's talking about his dad and how you were always able to translate for him. I wonder what that meant. <laughs> oh, just because parents and kids never speak the oh, same pa- language. Yeah, parents are difficult, but maybe there's. It felt like maybe maybe Paul got some of his himself from his dad. <laughs> that's what I was kind of, that's what I kind of thinking but then uh, like o- Oshigan sends a message to her parents hoping they'll read it but because we know they're Luddites or technological Luddites well I was wondering about that because not just that her parents are Luddites but also they have no subspace communication so where are all these messages going to go uh, Enterprise has them black boxes which is uh, that's another part people kept talking about and that confused me too like Discovery may not may only have ship to ship communication, but like Enterprise, Sarek and Amanda, uh, <laughs> Zia, I uh, feels like other places would have ways to talk to people. 
do a quick jump to Earth, say, hey, things are going down, uh, then go back to where you're going to go. Uh, it felt like a lot of possibilities here were overlooked. Yeah, it wasn't, cl- it wasn't clear to me if it was only Discovery subspace communications that were shut down. If it was just them, then you're right. Then they could ship to ship to Enterprise, and then Enterprise can relay everything. Yeah, and even on our rewatch, I was listening for it to make sure I heard the reference. And it only alluded to, they just kept saying, we only have ship to ship a few times. But they didn't say if that meant we as in Discovery and Enterprise or just Discovery. But also doesn't mean Discovery couldn't have just done a quick jump, which I suppose is technically still secret. So they don't want to just jump in. Okay, there's okay, there's that. They don't want to just d- jump into someone who doesn't know, in front of someone who doesn't know that they have the spore drive because it's a secret technology still to people who don't need to know it. But they also could have jumped to the Delta Quadrant and given themselves a lot more time to power up the time crystal yep, instead that, of just jumping to an hour away from Section Thirty One. That was the thought I had too. Like they said, like we need the power from the spore drive, so we can't use it for twelve hours. But like we could have done something first, real quick, before we used did that. It's a little yeah. weird. It's a yeah, little weird yeah. to me. It is. Maybe yeah. we'll get some answers next week, but to me, it feels weird right now. Now, the reason why another reason they didn't want to contact the rest of Starfleet or couldn't is because something Control said in the past, and like I mentioned on the show before, is Control has said before it has enough sway and influence where it can guide the pieces away for, or to wherever it needs. It can t- make the rest of the Starfleet go more or less where it wants to be. Yeah, as far as we know, it's only infiltrated Section 31 so far, but you're right. There's no reason to believe that it is limited to that part of Starfleet. Oh, yeah. It, it's used by all the Admiralty, but it's Section 31 has been controlled by control. Right. There's plenty of reasons why no one else is coming, but uh, it's weird that no one, they can't talk to anyone. <laughs> Yes, yes, I absolutely agree. That was weird. And yet, they nonetheless write these letters. Perhaps it's just cathartic for themselves. I liked Detmer writing a letter to her, presumably, friend Tazzy. I thought that was interesting that of all the people in the world, she would write to a, a best friend. We didn't see many other people doing that. Uh, and we also saw not a letter, but a final, perhaps, encounter between Culber and Samets. Yeah, oh man, I, I was a gut punch. Yeah, why was that? To me, it felt like he was coming to see if maybe he could work amends, and he lets Paul talk first. But at this point, Paul has just accepted things, and he's saying, "I'm, I'm, I'm leaving." And then he was like, "Oh, yeah, okay, I, I, I'm going to go to Enterprise after this." And so I, I thought, to me, it felt like Hugh was going to say, "Like, let's, I want to try again," and maybe invite Paul to go to Enterprise with them. And then Paul said, "Like, all right," but before he could do that, Paul's like. This is how things went. I'm out of here. And he just kind of accepted it. Like, okay, maybe it is time to say goodbye. Yeah, I agree. After Culber had that convo with Jet last week, I feel like he was going back to Stamus to ask for a second chance. And they both started to say something. And Culber said, you first. And I was like, oh, that's always the wrong thing to do. (laughs) And after Stamus said what he had to say, Stamus didn't say, I'm sorry, I cut you off. What were you going to say, Hugh? (laughs) And so we never got to find out. And I feel like... I, I hope they find a way back to each other after next week. And I don't know that they will. Yeah. It's a bummer. But maybe Jet and Poe will get together. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Part of me was hoping that Stamets' letter would be to Hugh. And that he would say all the things that he wanted to say or meant to say, but didn't say. And I, I like that he instead wrote to a sibling. Because I felt like he'd already said what he had to to Culber. But I... I wonder if maybe there was still something else to be said. Yeah, when we first showed like Paul reading, I wondered if it was to to Culber at first before you know it continued and quickly showed it wasn't, but that's what I thought it might have been going at first. Yeah, we saw Burnham on the bridge saying how she loves everybody and saying goodbye again. Yeah, and then moments later we saw Pike on the bridge saying goodbye to everybody. He went around said nice things to each person, which I thought was kind of neat. What I liked about that scene, and actually, when Pike was leaving, I teared up at the end because he was just walking the turbo lift, and Michael stops him, and everyone just stands at attention to him, and kind of gives him respect as he leaves. And it was that was that got me to tear up a bit. Something I didn't realize until the second viewing was when he goes to Burnham and says, "Not all of us get to find out what's in our hearts, and when we do, it's not always what we expect." 
it didn't occur to me that he was referring to his own future that he had seen in the time crystal. Yeah, yeah, that one was I mean, right away. He's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Was- and then Burnham also got a private goodbye with Ash Tyler again. Uh, I just tuned out for a moment. I don't think I even actually saw. That. I know the kiss. I think I blinked and saw that, but oh, kissing a guy with a beard. Well, that too, but just Ash. And I don't. Well, that relationship is nothing for me. I agree. The relationship is not great, but when she was walking away and he was all weepy, my first reaction was, oh, come on, toughen up. And then I realized, wait a minute, I am reinforcing toxic masculinity. If I was in his position, I would be teary-eyed and lip trembling as my girlfriend walked away. I would be doing the exact same thing. And so (laughs) actually, in a way, I thought it was nice to see a different kind of masculinity being represented in Star Trek. Oh, man. And here, I had no idea he was crying. I honestly looked away both times I watched it and had no idea. (laughs) (sighs) Sabriel, you have to commit to the craft. You have to comment Uh, on everything. uh, Ash, uh, Ash Tyler is a neat character. His whole, like I said on Twitter the other day, I was like, please let this storyline die. This current storyline for him (laughs) die or have some kind of epic reasoning in the next episode because oh my god i hate it so much he would be a good character to have a heroic death yes oh my god i was so mad when i was like oh man no they're gonna put him on Joe's section 31 show <laughs> oh that's right i forgot about that that's probably gonna happen oh great <laughs> well we don't we down. don't have to watch that one. Oh, what a way to bring it down and then there was one more goodbye when she was leaving her quarters, Michael, and she bumped into Tilly, and Tilly grabs her hand, which I loved, and pulls her out into the hallway, and everybody's there. Yeah, everyone's there. It's like, hey, who wasn't there on the bridge? Or not, some of them weren't on the bridge, but they're like, all right, yeah, we're going to stay here on Discovery with you. And she's like, no. They're like, yes. Now, the part where Saru said, I'm sure whatever you're about to say is beautiful, <laughs> but it's been decided and we're running out of time. If I was the director and scriptwriter for Discovery, what I would have done was I would have given Michael a beautiful speech and I would have had them rehearse it. And then when they go to record, I would have been to Saru, Doug Jones. I would have been like, Hey, when she starts that beautiful speech, just cut her off. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> I think it'd be hilarious. Cause for, you'd get such an authentic reaction. True. But also then she would be like, ha ha ha. Okay. Kyle was it again. And she, and they're like, no, no, that was real. <laughs> <laughs> I still would have done it. Cause I'm cruel like that. But as you just said to me last week, it's very on brand for me to do a lot of extra work just to spite somebody. (laughs) So I guess this is just another way I would do that. (laughs) I also love that everybody was there and we're all like, and and they all said, we're all going with you. And then Tyler hangs back and he's like, "Uh, they don't speak for me. I'm not going with you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I have a lot of questions about their plan to bring discovery into the future. But before we get to that, were there any other scenes that you want to talk about? No, we covered every single one of my notes. Me too. We took independent notes. I usually don't take any notes whatsoever. Once upon a time, you and I collaborated in Google docs. So we saw the same notes this week. We took independent notes. Huh? And that's all I had. Okay. So they want to bring discovery into the future do we know how far into the future? No, that hasn't been said. Uh, okay. I they're somehow time, time walking it, time linking it, time tethering it to her mom's time because they're using the plans for her suit. But there's nothing. I'm just guessing. That's not based on anything other than this is how Star Trek works in the past. Right. I assume it's 950 years, give or take, because that's roughly when Dr. Burnham is existing and also when the short trek took place. But... That has not been confirmed in this storyline. No, it's just going on truck sense. Okay. Another question. If they take Discovery into the future with the sphere data, the future that Dr. Burnham was trying to prevent, she said that no matter how many changes she made, how many leaps she made, Control always got the sphere data. So if this mission is successful, they are going to be bringing Discovery into a different future from the one that Dr. Burnham was traveling back from. Is that correct? Yes, and then that gets to the fun part about time travel. We don't know if it's going to be the Back to the Future time travel, where you can affect things in in same in this timeline continues on, or if it's also going to be the same Back to the Future, where no changing events made a parallel time. <laughs> we don't know. And then also now in this one, we have like oh no, I, like Pike is time locked into his timeline. Like none of this makes sense. <laughs> right. 
we know that Michael Burnham hopefully will end up back at Terralisium where her mom was, but if it's a different timeline, then her mom won't be there. Or will she? But yeah, it's just, we don't know. Time travel, that's what it gives me headaches. That's why when I became captain, I swore I'd never get stuck in one of these space <laughs> accidents. Uh, but, but for really for real time travel rules in Star Trek and, and just in general media are so changing and so different. And even Star Trek is currently not being consistent with itself. It's true. I mean, if this if they wanted to be consistent, then we would have seen Captain Braxton show up by now to stop all this. Yeah, or, or you know, maybe you know, and that's another thing. Like, whenever like maybe the Federation of the Future just hasn't noticed this one yet. The ripples haven't gotten to the future yet. Or yeah, it's it's so weird. Or because <laughs> of the events of Control doing its thing, because we've seen the future already just from watching Star Trek, and and then um, but so clearly Control is going to lose. But in their reality, it wins. What? Uh, so the feder- future federation that time travels through time doesn't exist, but it also does. What? You bring up a good point because I've read some of the temporal investigation novels set in the Star Trek universe, and they this future federation from I forget the thirty first century or whatever they allowed some timeline manipulation to occur intentionally, and they did not go back and correct it because the, it was those alterations that led to the timeline that they existed in. And they, of course, wanted to exist. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, it's, uh, temp- and then here we had the temporal cold war and all that jazz too. And so, yeah, you want to be consistent as a viewer or a fan of Star Trek, but we can't because they do what they need to for a plot to work. And since we don't know how time travel works or if there's only one way for time travel to work, it's hard to really be consistent or even to be critical. I mean, I'm not saying these are not valid concerns. They are, but it's science fiction at the same time. Yeah. And Bashir could be his own grandfather. <laughs> Wait, did that happen? That was in um, original or trials and tribulations in D space nine, their little anniversary episode. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Dr. Bashir was flirting with a gal on the turbo lift and he's like, Wait, Maybe I'm supposed to meet her. Maybe I actually am my own grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I forgot that, and I love it. Thank you. <laughs> One of the things Pike said was that they cannot allow any ships to follow Discovery through the wormhole. That makes sense to me, because if Control got through to the future, it seems to me that Control wouldn't care when it gets the sphere data. If it goes now or a thousand years from now, it'll still take over the entire galactic quadrant. So why not just go into the future? So it makes sense to me that Pike sees that as a threat. It would stop it from happening. Oh, and now we totally know what's going to happen next week. Some ships are going to try to follow. Oh, yeah. Oh, just like when the Borg Sphere went back in time and the Enterprise said we have to follow in the temporal wake and go back with it. I imagine that Section 31 will want to go to the future with Discovery. Oh, speaking of the big battle and um, seeing... We finally get to see Star Trek do something that, that people have said it just doesn't do. Because it's a thing like Battlestar Galactica. They have all the Vipers do all the little fighting, while the big ship, the big capital ship, does its thing. In Star Trek, it's traditionally been all you see is just the like, battleships fighting each other. You see the big ship. And people have been like, how come they don't have any like tiny attack squadrons and whatever like that? And um, besides being uh, a Starfleet all about exploration, but they were in a war. They've been in wars before. Here we see them actually getting shuttlecraft, getting shuttle pods, getting like the worker bees all fired up to fight 31, 30 ships. I thought it looked really cool. Like we finally get to see Star Trek kind of do like a Battlestar Galactica-like thing and have tons of little vipers flying around doing the thing. I never saw as much Battlestar Galactica as I would have liked, so I didn't get that far. But this is a cool scene, and I love seeing all those little ships. I still have to wonder how they can possibly make that big of a difference because these are very small ships compared to 30, at least, Section 31 ships. I It seems like they're just delaying the inevitable because so Section 31 ships must have little shuttle pods as well if they want to even the numbers. Spoilers, but not really for the next episode. We saw that in the preview. They have tons of little ships. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I, wait I, uh, I didn't see the preview. Oh, you said you did. No, I, I didn't say that. Oh, well, it's not really a spoiler because you know there's a fight coming. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a spoiler I can live with. That's that is the spoiler. Like there, there's a fight coming. You see tiny little ships flying around. They're gonna have small ships fighting small ships. Oh, fun! I just realized I didn't scroll all the way down my notes, and I actually did have notes about that battle that is occurring or going to occur because two things. First, when Burnham pulls up that diagram, she says they've surrounded us. It looks to me like they're surrounded on two planes. 
Uh, yeah, that graphic did not like they they actually the graphic did not show what showed even when they showed it in the show. They had the ships coming in at different different trajectories, not all only two dimensional. None of them showed up directly above Enterprise and Discovery. Oddly, like they didn't surround them in a sphere, but they surround them in like a cylinder. Yeah, but not a not a total circle. It does seem to be a recurring issue in Star Trek. They're like, why don't you just go up? I. I actually thought this last week or a week or two ago when the, um, when Lorel's ship was there, they actually had Discovery and her ship not on the same plane. Like they were both angled in different directions and just hovering near each other. And I was like, finally, they did it like you're supposed to do it. <laughs> I think you pointed that out even way back in the Vulcan Hello that, that happened. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, they do do it when it looks neat and they think of it, <laughs> but the graphic, like I guess it's not a 3D screen, so maybe... Who knows? I wonder why Control didn't attack as soon as they showed up. It seems like they're just almost like an old military battlefield waiting for everybody to line up and then the battle will start. It might be assessing the situation. Which is what Control does. Yeah. Going back to the plan to go into the future. Burnham wants to bring Discovery into the future. They'll both be stuck there. When Dr. Burnham went to the future, she was stuck there. She was able to go back to the past, but then she got rubber banded back to the future. I think you and I have discussed that. It doesn't really make sense that she would get rubber banded to the future instead of the present where she originates. I'm wondering if there will be some other rubber banding effect applied to Michael and Discovery. And if so, where they'll be rooted to, where the rubber band back to. Oh, that's possible. I didn't battle that this time. Yeah, the rubber banding thing's a little weird. Like time for whatever reason wants them to be in a certain period. Now, there is some intention to that design. I think in the Marvel comic book universe, time is a living conscious entity i would hope that's not the case with discovery as well <laughs> i talked about before where like 2009 star trek movie book the novelization says like the reasoning i got the everyone from the original series got together in the movie as because time is trying to repair itself as best it can that's true but like even, even michael's mom was like time is evil it's not this huge beautiful thing <laughs> it's relentless and it comes for us all that's right so we know now that the rest of the crew, Saru, etc., want to go to the future with Michael. We don't know if that's going to happen. We don't know what's happening next week. See that to me, that left something open to like we're going to be on Discovery up until the point of getting off it or going with. Uh, I, I thought about the first time I viewed it, like it means we're going to go with all the way, and the second time I was like we're going to go with up until the time you take it out of here, uh, or possibly that. So I, I could. I, to me, I originally felt it means go with to the future. But now I'm like, ah, there's some leeway there. <laughs> yeah, I thought they meant go to the future as well, because it sounds to me like they were not going to abandon Michael. Yeah, and why would they do all the goodbyes and all that jazz? Right. Yeah. But it seems increasingly likely that Calypso is going to be resulting from this, this storyline somehow, and that discovery that's a thousand years in the future is abandoned. And it seems like the ship's been there for quite a while, watching Calypso. Yeah, it seems more likely now that Zora, the AI, is the sphere data integrated with Discovery. But I still don't know where all the people went. So yeah, maybe Discovery is just left in the future while everyone else is somehow left behind. Like, like maybe something something happens in the battle where some people have to leave the ship. That's definitely one possibility. I can see that happening. If they do go to the future, then I have no idea where they went or what happened to them. Yeah. Uh, the only constant we do know is that Spock said he's going with, and we, but we know he continues on in our universe, or the normal timeline, so. Right. That's, that's true. Actually, you're right. I, that occurred to me, and I forgot to note it. I was also thinking about yesterday's Enterprise, where taking a ship from the present and sending his crew into the future can have disastrous effects. We've seen this happen. Not that, of course, the crew of Discovery knows this, but... When you send somebody into the past, that can make a good difference. When you send somebody into the future, that can make a bad difference because it <laughs> takes them out of the present, which is the future's past. Yeah, again, the time travel paradox. Like, why did that ever appear? When it's the it's Star Trek is just weird with time travel, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> right, and these pulses are the result of future Michael going back and creating pulses that she already saw in her own past. And there are two more pulses in only one more episode. We assume it was Michael still. We don't know. That's true. We thought it was Michael the first time. It ended up being her mom. But yeah. now it does seem likely, unless the Time Crystal's vision of Leland killing Michael comes into play, we are led to believe that Michael is going to be piloting the Red Angel suit. 
Yeah. But we don't know where signals still. We don't know what's developing the signals. It's still, uh, what's, there's a lot to cover in one episode. Yeah. And last year, they wrapped up season one in the final episode, and there weren't a lot of loose threads. And they had time still for an award ceremony and to end on a cliffhanger that led directly into season two. I don't know where this season is leading. I don't know how they're going to tie it all up and if they're going to create an opening for season three that is somehow a new storyline. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot riding on next week's episode. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yes. <laughs> Anything else before we wrap up? No, it went beyond my notes. We don't know what's going to happen next week. But I can't wait to find out. Until then. Hit it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. When Pike was saying goodbye to everybody on the bridge, and he said, Lieutenant Nelson, you took Arium's place, thank you. Mm -hmm. And that was somebody who they made a scene out of her arrival on the bridge a couple of episodes ago. She has chosen to stay on the Discovery with Michael. She was in that crew in the hallway who's going to go into the future. I don't know that she's really had any lines. I'm surprised how committed she is to Discovery. But I tried to find her in Memory Alpha, and I couldn't find her, which is weird, which means I wonder if I have her name wrong. It is Lieutenant Nelson, isn't it? I couldn't type something. Hey, that's how little I remember the character already. I know who you're talking about. I just haven't committed that to memory yet. I thought that's what Pike called her when he was going around the bridge saying goodbye to everybody. But if I have the name right, in Memory Alpha, there is a D. Nelson, the initial D. Nelson, which was the name on a gravestone at New Eden. <laughs> huh. Oh, there we go. Because we, we we didn't get many looks at the gravestones. I remember trying, trying, but they just didn't focus enough to let us see them, for the most part. That's interesting, if that is the case. But I don't know how that could come into play, because the residents of New Eden themselves did not time travel. So how could Lieutenant Nelson from Discovery end up buried on New Eden? Time travel is very weird. <laughs>